everybody hello this is this is reaper's digest i'm blake ray and i'm duke ralston and hey. i am mc williams we have a special guest with us today hello yeah so we're gonna get into uh some indie horror talk about mc williams story today the library you know um we're going to be talking about the idea of making and doing and the DIY ethic that is so uh, available in horror. Um, so, as always, I am the lead singer of the band Blood Oaks. And, do you are? I am. Uh, I play the Grim Reaper in Tennessee Macabre. We host uh, B-horror movies, classic B-horror movies. I heard you had a very special guest recently. We did. Uh, we did. Uh, well, of course, uh, we had uh, we shot uh, Plan Nine from Outer Space with a special guest star, guest host. Mm -hmm. That would have yeah. been you. And I believe yeah. we're going to be doing a few more things around with with, with you coming down. Yeah. So we're looking forward to that. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself, MC. Yeah, uh, I am the host of the Myths Your Teacher Hated podcast, which tells mythology, folklore, and fairy tales from around the world with all of the sex and violence left in. Uh, I'm also a writer of primarily horror, uh, sci -fi science fiction, and uh, urban fantasy, working on a YA story set in the Aztec mythos right now, as well as a somewhat Lovecraftian story uh, for a LeVar Burton's podcast. Nice. It's nice. Cool. What are you drinking tonight, Duke? Well, I am drinking uh, Straight and Narrow from Common John Brewing, uh, my favorite microbrewery, located in Manchester. And I've been sitting here staring at this for the past 20 minutes like a dog staring at a bone. I'm so glad to pop the, pop the top on it. What are you drinking? I got Terrapin, Ooh. brewed out of Athens. Yep. This is Los Bravos. It's a Mexican style lager, which I have not had before. Okay. I was feeling good. Fancy. I've never had it before either. All right. In honor of the two of you, I've actually got a uh, duo. I've got first the Everything Plus Breakfast Stout out of Nashville, Tennessee. Ooh. And then the Steady Hand Never Ending Brunch out of Atlanta. Sounds there good. Best of both worlds. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which one are you starting with? Starting with breakfast, obviously. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> How is it? It's delicious. I mean, yeah. it does taste kind of like um, jam and toast, but not, not bready heavier on the sweet. Okay. Yeah, this is pretty good. Los Bravos, of course, is a reference to the Braves, mm -hmm. uh, which is right down the street from me yeah making you know i do to my house uh oh 
full disclosure, I've known Mickey a long time. <laughs> okay. But uh, we've got uh, kind of a, a little bit hoppier than your average. Whoop. What happened? Oh, oh, there we go. Okay. A little bit hoppier than your average Mexican lager. Mm. Sounds good. This is uh this is just a pale ale. It's it's very light and summery. A um, little bit of a hoppy flavor, but not much. Very good. Very refreshing. A little bit of a citrus hint. Oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to know a guy way back in the day. He made his own uh, his own hooch, and he made uh, a grapefruit IPA. Right. Oh, wow. And it was heavy on the grapefruit, light on the IPA, and he would sell it to you in a milk jug. Yeah, wow. I've had milk jug beer before. Yeah. Yeah. He called it a lawnmower ale. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Yeah. So. Yeah. One jug of that and your grass is trimmed. (laughs) Well, either either that or you don't care anymore. (laughs) Either way, it's a good day. Yeah. Yes. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Mickey. All right. Uh, I am an autistic structural engineer who does a lot of artistic stuff on the side just for funsies. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been running the Myths Your Teacher Hated podcast for about five years now. Uh, I do a lot of speaking on the local convention circuit. Uh, I do a lot of short fiction writing, some mystery writing, uh, considering putting together a uh self-published uh series of short stories mostly in the horror genre uh yeah i think that's about covers it yeah we're gonna come back to that idea of self-publishing yeah because that i think is important to what we're talking about today so the story in question because i wanted to have a uh an anchor story for this is a story you published in my magazine pulp factory uh and our second issue called the library why don't you tell us a little bit about the story okay yeah the uh the library has its nugget as most of my stories do in a nightmare that i had of being outside of this very creepy building and going inside and having just this extremely distorted vision of a library and so when i saw the prompt art for that month of the guy with a torch what looked to me like a wall of books uh, I immediately connected the dream to that and went straight for it. I love magical realism. So it's basically taking the idea of what changed one thing and it completely changes reality. In this case, the idea that knowledge is power. What if that was literal? What if you really did books were literally a power, had a gravitational force, gravitational pull that could warp reality around it? And you connect all of that knowledge into the library. What does that do? And the rest of the story just kind of followed from there. It's a fantastic story. Well, thank yes, you. Yeah, I know you were partial to it, dude. I loved it, man. I just, I loved the idea of uh, a library, kind of a extraplanetary library that you access through a pathway through the stars. I, I just thought that was really cool. Well, I appreciate yeah. that. I really, I really uh, enjoyed writing that one. Yeah. Well, also, so like the fact that little Billy's there. You know. Yeah, Billy is based off a different nightmare of mine. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. That's I a recurring was... nightmare I had when I was five. That, uh, yeah, yeah. So 
in case you don't know, the story is about a young man who has been assigned a take-home test by his uh, professor, English teacher. It doesn't really specify what grade he's in, does it? It doesn't specify grade. It actually doesn't specify gender either. I never, I very deliberately never specify that. Oh, yeah. Um, but it's uh, first person, sort of stream of consciousness. I guess I say he because I was putting myself into the character. Yeah, that's make the idea. That, make that easy to do. Yeah. So I definitely, you know, I, I identify he, him. And so, you know, I, uh, I was uh, putting myself into the character. And he goes into, or they, they go into the library, the uh, narrator, to get a copy of the Odyssey, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the Odyssey, I think, is very important here because, well, one, it's kind of a little in-joke, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Well, we're going on a journey, so we're going to find the Odyssey. But also the idea of hubris is important to the Odyssey. I would say it's the most important, consistent theme that you're going to pull out of the analysis of the Odyssey. That's sort of your first level. Mm -hmm. You know? You can talk about masculinity, toxic masculinity, and all that stuff later. But your first level is you're going to look at hubris, right? And I think that a lot of this has to do with hubris, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we're doing a deep dive on the Odyssey right now. So that was very much on my mind when I'm writing this. Hmm. Yeah. I love the choice of the Odyssey because to me, that's that's kind of the, the very beginning of Western literature. And um, it, it is you're going on an Odyssey of the library to study the very roots of storytelling. Yeah, and that's sort of the implication there. And there's a lot to really pull out of the Odyssey. The uh, One of the main themes that they keep going back to in the Odyssey is the idea that there's a right way to adventure and there's a wrong way to adventure. And if you do things the right way, you'll succeed. If you do it the wrong way, if you, you rely on yourself, if you deviate from the correct path, things go very poorly very quickly. And so you've yes. got our, our narrator who is doing things the Odysseus way. And then you've got poor Billy, who is the suitors, who is everyone else in that story who tries and fails and ends up dashed on the rocks. It's Agamemnon. It's everyone else. Yeah. yeah. Everyone whose ears weren't cover. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I love the use of the Odyssey. I love the little nods to classical literature throughout. I'm not going to spoil the story too much because I do want you to go read it. Because I, think I love it's really... some of the books that attack you, uh, that attack the the narrator on the way in. I love the choice of books that, like I said, we're not going to spoil it, but the choice of books that come up. One in particular, I just love <laughs> that comes up to attack. You know, so I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I spent a lot of time. I had a whole list of different options and what how it would work out before I finally decided on the ones I ended up deciding on. Okay. So let me ask you something, Mickey. Mm -hmm. How much Lovecraft is in this? <laughs> uh, as with pretty much all modern horror, it's the foundation of kind. I mean, it, the idea of uh, something that you don't ever really get a good glimpse of that is warping reality. And if you look at it too closely, things are going to go badly is definitely in there, as well as the idea that knowledge is dangerous, which is another heavy Lovecraftian theme. Uh, yeah. 
I mean, yeah, it's really hard to write modern horror without some Lovecraftian underpinnings, but this one definitely goes real heavy on the Lovecraft. You still there? I'm still here. Oh, my router keeps saying it's not. Anyway, I don't think it's affecting anything. <laughs> no, my router just either. keeps yelling at me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're so, coming through on this sense. So I think it may just yeah. be it's interrupting yeah, on your side. Me. So in this, you write, I believe it's on the fourth page of their, uh, or rather it's on the second page. Mm -hmm. To find the library, you just follow the stars. Or maybe it's more the spaces between the stars. Mm -hmm. Look up into the night sky where the moon isn't and sort of unfocus your mind. If you do it right, you'll feel the seismic pull of the accumulated books of the library. After that, you follow the feeling until the architecture crawls out of the night to sprawl before you. Just make sure you don't accidentally wander somewhere worse by accident. So that's Lovecraft through. Oh, that's hardcore Lovecraft. Yeah. Yeah. That's I the love, I love the lab, the librarian. You know, I'm thinking of, uh, it makes me think, I had a great elementary school librarian, but it makes me think of a really horrible elementary school librarian that you're coming up to face that's really a Lovecraftian monster. Mm -hmm. And you never, you never go into a, a huge description of the librarian, but you kind of get the feel that it's some kind of nebulous monster. You know, the, the, a book hits it on the snout and it's coiled around a book. So, so it's kind of dragony, kind of reptilian. I loved it. Yeah, I definitely was playing with the idea of what would hoard books. Obviously a dragon of some sort, but I yeah. didn't want to give too much of a description because in my mind and in a lot of analyses of horror that i've read the most horrible thing you can describe is not describing because the audience will feel fill in something yeah. worse than anything you can come up with yeah and so if you give their imaginations place room to play they will do all the work for you are you sure it's not a giant spider because maybe it should be a giant spider at the end she love yeah oh, god <laughs> here's the king <laughs> <laughs> a man who can write a thousand pages and then just not end it. <laughs> I'm convinced King's books are uh, so long because he doesn't know how to end. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's one hell of a storyteller, but he is in desperate need of an editor. Um, yes. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like that, you know, there, there are a couple of his books that I really love. I always love the stories. But some of the books he's written, it just kind of drones on and on with descriptions of things that don't really need to be described, you know? Yeah, it definitely becomes a problem. I really enjoyed his Dark Tower series because it moved along at a little better clip and yeah. did a really cool job of wandering through the books, but never really getting bogged down in just eloquent prose, really. Right, yeah. right. Well, you know... Um... I think that is something interesting to say here. Um, the idea of being in desperate need of an editor. Mm -hmm. A lot of times indie creators are without editors or beta readers. Mm -hmm. So let's get into that. How do you approach that? 
Uh, I'm actually in a couple of Facebook groups dedicated to authors helping authors, and then two that are dedicated especially to finding beta readers. And mm -hmm. so for this story, I found two different readers who uh, significantly helped me improve this story, helped me find passages that were clunky, find stuff that just didn't make sense. And the story was much, much better for their input. Hmm. Okay. How important do you think the beta reader is to the uh, writing process? I mean, honestly, I think it's vital uh, because by the time you've written something, uh, short fiction for, sh for sure, but particularly when you start getting in the longer, the novella and the novel length, you have stared at this thing for so long and you've read it so many times that your brain fills in what you expect to be there rather than what is. And so you have a fresh pair of eyes come in, read through it, and they'll see something that go, well, this doesn't make sense, or what's going on here, or find inconsistencies, point out stuff that just didn't work, that you think is great, but it doesn't work for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so, Duke, you, you know something about writing a longer work. Yeah, yeah, and I can definitely, you do get, you do get kind of that 100-yard stare, and, you know, it, I go back and do a reread now of some of the stuff that I wrote because I'm doing a novella and mm -hmm. um, I've been working on this since, well, since January. And I'll go back and look at some of the stuff I wrote in January and go, that's not how I remember it, you know? Mm -hmm. So it, yeah, beta readers, critical, critical. Yeah. In that case, I serve as the beta reader. Yes. Because, but also the editor. Now yes. I won't tell you, Mickey, Mm -hmm. I was mad at you when I first read the story. <laughs> All right. I'll bite. Why? Because of the capitalization. Until I realized the library was an eldritch thing. <laughs> I was like, you don't capitalize library. <laughs> yeah, I had to, that's one I actually had to fight with the beta readers on because they kept going, this doesn't make sense. I'm like, no, get to the end. It will. Yeah, it, it made sense in the end. Yeah. So... You know, I'm brown bagging it today, gentlemen. <laughs> something that something that I would like to ask. Uh -huh. You know, Billy asked asked if he would take him with him when he left. Mm -hmm. That's the only thing he didn't take him with him. Did you toy with that? Was that deliberate? Uh, did you think about doing it another way? Yeah, I played around a lot with how to end that interaction because I figure Billy wants out of there. Billy feels trapped. Billy has yeah. been in there for who knows how long and will be in mm. there for who knows how much longer. But the narrator also doesn't really trust Billy. And right. that's that, there's that whole thing where it's like, you know, how do I know you're not going to betray me? I'll just come back and smash you. It's like, if I'm betraying you, you'll never get the chance. Yeah. And so I, I do think the, the narrator themselves were conflicted because on the one hand, it is the right thing to do is to help out someone in need. But on the mm -hmm. other hand, this is someone who got to where they are based on their own choices, their own hubris. Right. This is, this is sort of, again, I was playing with the idea of Greek myth of like Hercules descending into the underworld and meeting people who've been trapped there on their own quests. And does he save them or not? And he ends up not saving them because they need to make their own quest. They, at, at the end of the day, they have to have their own adventure. They have to have their own odyssey and they have to get themselves out. Okay. That's, that's I kind of wondered if that was part of the answer. So that, that, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. I think, uh, 
I think I want to talk to both of y'all about the idea of um, the freedom and the burden of freedom mm-hmm. in writing for a small publication or for podcasts or things like that. Because I, I find that without a set task, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Without going in with a set of guidelines, a set of rules, I find myself a little bit at sea. There's a burden of choice here. Mm-hmm. You know, I could write about anything, so why? what do I write about? How do you get around that as a writer? Well, I tell you, I have toyed with this for years and years and years because I have dabbled with writing since I was in college. And the thing that I always come back to, come back to a couple things. Number one, Mark Twain said that you, I believe it was Mark Twain said, you should always write about what you know. And so in my stories, I tried to keep the geography in uh, Tennessee, Georgia, never really written anything about Alabama, but I probably will one day. I keep it in the area that I know and love. And I, the, the one thing that has always inspired me that I've always loved is Pulp Fiction. So I, don't really care to write outside of that. Um, I like to write horror. I like to write fantasy and um, have had toyed with some ideas from science fiction, but mostly horror and fantasy. And so that's, that's how I decide what I'm going to do. Okay. Yeah. I, I feel sort of similar for me. It's more, I try to think of what's a story that I want to read that I can't find. Let me write that story. And so that's how I ended up with the, the, the YA novel that I'm writing right now is I really love the Aztec mythos and there really aren't any good books about it. And that's yeah. disappointing because it's such a cool mythos. There are such cool gods, such cool mm-hmm. monsters. I mean, some of that is because a lot of what we know about that was absolutely destroyed by the Spanish Inquisition. Mm-hmm. And so there's not a whole lot, there's big gaps. And so there's just not as much complete information as we have in other places. But what we do have is so rich and so cool. Uh, as far as your thing about being adrift at sea, yeah, the, the podcast has really forced discipline on me because I've got a bi-weekly release schedule, which means come hell or high water, I have to have an episode ready every week. Because I've got to have a week to edit it. I have to have that time. So I don't have a choice but to sit down and get it done. And that has really taught me how to get past this whole writer's block thing is to sit down and write it. And even if it's terrible, uh, I can't remember where the original quote is, is, but it's something along the lines of you, you can edit a bad book, but you can't edit the book you didn't write. I have always told my students uh, that. You've got to have something in front of you to edit. Always. And, you know, I I feel like I've I've tried to create a mythos that revolves around um, local stories. Um, The Cave Goblins figure in just about everything I've written except absolute. I've, I've got some absolute fantasy pieces I haven't really sent you that don't involve that. 
but I wanted to kind of create my own geography to write in and being in the area that I'm in, uh, caves and sinkholes are common. They're scary places. I'm about 200, well, about a half mile, two miles from a sinkhole called the devil's den that, Mm -hmm. you know, I was just taught growing up, you never go near it because you die. So that sort of becomes uh, a center point of what I'm writing there. There's evil in the hole, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of another thing that I've, I've chosen to do. And of course that's all informed by the idea of the Kelly Hopkinsville event, right? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Kelly Hopkinsville. And then there was an internet and I'm trying to think of the name. Hell your Kentucky. Yeah. There, there's an internet series that I watched and I really loved it. Um, that, uh, delved into Hopkinsville. You could, uh, you could involve the bell, Witch of Tennessee and that mythos very easily. Oh, I love um, the bell, Witch. huh? I love the bell, Witch. I do too. Petrified of it, but I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, you know, there's a lot of Southern folklore and horror that you can very easily pull into that mythos. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The Bell Witch is so cool. We did a whole Halloween yeah. episode on it because it's just so much fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the house I'm in right now, <clears throat> this house, my mother in law just recently bought it. But um, the man that used to live here when I was real little, they got together. There was a book that had come out called The Bell Witch of Tennessee that everybody was reading. I mean, it was on every night stand table. And so a bunch of them got together and uh, went to Bell Witch Cave. And, of course, Lynchburg is between here and Bell Witch Cave, so they had an adequate supply of Jack Daniels before they got there. Of course. And they came back in, and they were telling all kinds of stories. And I had seen The Wizard of Oz, and I was just petrified. (laughs) I slept with a jug of water by my bed for about five years because I was going to pour it on the Bell Witch. (laughs) Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> so let's talk about the world of indie publishing. Indie, uh, because I, I want to say that one of the big things that has come out, one of the big positives no one talks about out of the world of on demand books, Kindle, Fire, Kindle. What's the other one? Uh, KDP. KDP. Kindle Direct Publishing. That's the one. One of the things that's come out of that world, yeah, it did kill the local bookstore. It did. And that is depressing, right? Yeah. But it has also democratized writing. Yes. In a lot of ways. Yeah, there's been a real renaissance of indie publishing. Yeah. How do you feel about that? I mean, very, very mixed because I love bookstores. I love used bookstores in particular. Uh, I mean, I love there's there's still one near me. Uh, there's a half price books that I just love to go in and just I don't know what I'm looking for. I'll just wander around looking at titles until something grabs me. And that's how I find most of my books is just finding something I don't know. Find by an author I don't know. That's the next one I'm going to read. It looks cool. And so the loss of that, the loss of as many bookstores as we used to have and the opportunity to go just discover books, I do feel like is a huge loss, but I do think there is something 
incredible about the idea that anyone with a, uh, access to the internet, which is most people now, uh, you can go and write a story and put it up on Kindle and the entire world can access it. The entire world is now at your fingertips without having to go through a publisher, which is a double-edged sword. Publishers can... Uh, so what, what I find here is that it's like the democratization of information mm-hmm. in that it is definitely difficult, right? Mm-hmm. To decide if it's good or bad. Because on the one hand, you have all the information at your fingertips. On the other hand, you have all the world's misinformation at your fingertips. Absolutely. You know, like but it. I, I would point out that yes, um, you're absolutely right, but that has always been there. Yellow journalism at the turn of the century uh, got us into the Spanish-American War. Not not the last turn of the century, but the turn of the century before that. Mm-hmm. And and there's no doubt that newspapers were spreading misinformation. Um, the internet is a a huge source of misinformation, but it didn't invent it. You know, so it's always been there and there's always been people purveying it. Yes, it's a problem. I agree. Um, But I think, you know, anytime you have a change, there's there's good things that come out of it and there's bad things that come out of it. And, uh, you know, you could to go back even further, you know, yes, uh, the Internet's killed the bookstore, but the Gutenberg Press killed monastic scriptorums. And Mm -hmm. it changed what you read and what you saw, just as this is going to change what you, you know, the pulp magazines, the idea of taking uh, the pulp magazines, the penny dreadfuls, these were guys that were publishing as cheaply as they could. And it allowed a diversification of storytelling that had not existed previously. So that's kind of the same thing we're seeing here. Yeah, I'd agree with that. You're seeing, you're, you're seeing sort of the modern version of weird tales yes, on the internet. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's sort of what I was going for when I started in Pulp Factory. Yeah. And, and that's what you did. Version of weird tales. Yeah. 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 So, well, let's get into something a little more fun. You want to mix it up? Yeah, let's mix it up. All right. Vampires, werewolves. Ooh, vampires or werewolves. Uh, I love werewolves as a monster, but I love I like vampire stories better. I think they've got more flexibility to really explore more diverse themes. Werewolves tend to be more cities versus uh, the rural, the beast versus the civilized. I think vampires are just the outsider, the the idea of invasion. And I think there's a lot more to play with with the idea of invasion. Okay, what about you, dude? Mm, boy, that's a hard one. Um, I, t- I probably am going to come down on the side of the vampires as well. Although I love a good werewolf tale. Oh, I yeah. think to me, the challenge as a reader, I'm going to pick vampires as a writer. I'm going to pick werewolves because the, the challenge, there's a lot of diversity in the vampire story. But a lot of werewolf stories are pretty much the old Lon Chaney werewolf story. 
that is mm-hmm. recycled. It, it tends to be kind of the same thing over and over again. Um, and I think that there's opportunity to diversify that a great yeah. deal. I, I'd agree with that. Uh, I not, well, I guess it's a while ago now, but there's a really amazing version of the werewolf with the loop guru in mm-hmm. uh, the Dresden files books that I mm-hmm. thought was a really cool interpretation of the loop guru, which is a, a werewolf. You don't see a lot. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which some my my grandmother was from New Orleans, so that was something I grew up with. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So let's see. Uh, print or e-reader? Ooh, I mean, I love the smell of old books, and I've got literally a room full of books I collect because I love. Uh, used books. I love the idea of being able to go in and just pick up something I've never seen. And I don't know if it's going to be good, but hey, it's a dollar. But at the same time, when I travel, I love being able to bring my e-reader with me and because I'm going to get through a book and not having to stuff my bag full of four books, which is a lot of weight, uh, is a lot is nice. It's nice being able to have whatever book I want. Or if I finish a series and there's a new one out, I can just go ahead and download it and read it immediately. There's a lot of freedom there. So... I love print books, but I think I'm coming down on the e-reader. What about you, Duke? Well, I don't know if even you know this about me, Blake, but my background, my degree is in history, medieval history. So I'm not over this whole Gutenberg Press thing. (laughs) (laughs) So you are coming down not with the print book or the e-reader, but with the scroll. The linen scroll bound in strange leather. That's right. That's right. I do. I, I'm going to say for, for sitting down and reading, I like, like, you, like you're saying, I love the smell of books. I like, there's a store in Chattanooga called McKay's Bookstore. It's used books. And I go in there quite often. And I got a book there on magic. And, um, the book still, you could still smell the dragon blood incense in the book, which Ooh, I thought was really cool when I'm reading. I love that about books. And you don't get that from an e-reader. By the same token, I can sit down with an e-reader or a computer and I can, I literally have thousands of texts at my fingerprints, uh, at my fingertips. When I did my thesis in history, I, my thesis was out of Ireland, and I had to use interlibrary loans to borrow books from Trinity College in Dublin. Mm-hmm. Now all I'd have to do is get on the internet. Right. Yeah. So well, I remember a time where I would, and I, you know, things are just changing so fast because I'm not. Well, I'd like to think I'm not that old, but uh, <laughs> we. Uh, I like to think that too, but it ain't true. <laughs> older and older by the second. Yeah. Um, but uh, I used to go down to the library with a bag of dimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To uh, make copies. For some of our younger listeners, Xeroxes were a poorly copied piece of paper yes. that cost you a dime. <laughs> And you couldn't read it when you needed to. No, you didn't. There was always a word that had to be interpreted. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the whole idea of scanning text has been absolutely critical to my podcast because trying to get a copy of, say, uh, the original uh, Romance of the Two Dynasties is almost impossible. Right. But I can find it online. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I feel you like YouTube to... could Go ahead. One of my favorite, one of my favorite websites is uh, sacredtexts.com. Oh, I love sacred texts. Great website. And I can go down. If I'd had that in college, I would have gone nuts. You know, mm -hmm. I can go in there and, and pull up a dozen texts on Celtic mythology or Roman mythology and just read whatever I want to, you know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, them and a World of Tales are both amazing yes. resources. Yes, absolutely. So what's your favorite conspiracy theory? Ooh. Uh, my favorite conspiracy theory is that Nessie is the ghost of a dinosaur who haunts uh, Lake Ness. That's a good one. <laughs> it hurts no one. I've chosen to believe it. Yeah. You know, in the 70s, they tried to exercise him. Yep. I did not know that. Yeah. Yep. They rode out into the middle of the lake and tried to exercise the lake to get rid of the ghost dinosaur. <laughs> oh, wow. Say yeah. Columba did perform an exorcism on Loch Ness, mm -hmm. the ninth century or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's happened more than once. Yeah, yeah, because the one I'm talking about was in the seventies. Right, I remember that. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. So, uh, what's your favorite, dude? Oh dear. Of course, I'm very, theory. I'm very partial to the cave goblins. <laughs> um, I love. Um, I love the the oh, what's what's the word I'm trying to think of the chariots of the god books mm -hmm. from on Donegan. Mm -hmm. um, not sure I hundred percent buy it, but I can't hundred percent argue with it either. Mm -hmm. um, I I really am into Roswell and the JFK conspiracy theories. There's a lot of stuff out there that I mean. I like the idea that the Sphinx, the body, and this is one that appeals to me as a geologist. The body of the Sphinx, of the Sphinx has got to be at least 10,000 years old. Hmm. Because it has a type of erosion that occurs from torrential rainfall, not from desert erosion. And they're very different. The, the torrential rainfall creates vertical erosion. Desert erosion is horizontal. Hmm. Well, I mean, the uh, Egyptian dynasties are far older than we really can grasp. Yes. Like yes. The, uh, the ancient pyramids were as old to Cleopatra as Cleopatra is for us. Mm -hmm. wow. Exactly. And when the pyramids were built, there were still mastodons in parts of the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was a leading question, which gets me yeah. to my favorite conspiracy theory. Yes, let's hear it. The moon is actually an alien space station. Oh, wow. That's a good one. Yeah, there's a whole website, and go look at it. It's like uh, one of the, if you remember the old internet, green text on black, you know what I'm oh, talking yeah. about? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's that same kind of writing. <laughs> uh, it's called whobuiltthemoon.com. <laughs> which I'm surprised they snagged that, you know, domain name up. 
But my man has some easy. He's, he's swinging for the fences, you know. <laughs> uh, this really sounds like Doctor Who meets SCP. It's a. It's right there, <laughs> but it is dead serious. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing! Wow. So I I love using conspiracy theories as uh, writing material. Oh yeah. oh yeah, they're great. Oh yeah, they're great. Yeah. They're yeah. Great. You know, I know the answer to this, but you didn't get to say, uh, like, werewolf or vampires. Werewolves, all day. No, of course. Yeah. <laughs> all day. That shocks me not at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I knew the answer, but I thought you ought to get the answer. <laughs> Although I, I am currently writing a vampire novel, so... <laughs> I mean, vampires are fun. There's so many cool things to do with it. Stephen King yeah. did a really cool short story called, uh, I think, Riot of the Road Virus. Yeah. That is a really unique take on the vampire tale. It's a re- it was in one of my short story collections. I love short story collections oh, by diverse yeah, authors. Yeah. I, they're my favorite thing in the world. I love short story collections. But there's a really good one and one that I found that I'd never heard of before. But yeah, it's... I'm not sure about the the entirely title, but it's Stephen King something something road virus. It's okay. amazing. I'll have to check that out. That sounds very interesting. Just Salem's Lot is one of my favorite favorite all time vampire story. Yeah, I listened to that episode, and somehow that story uh, I missed that one. I've read almost everything King's ever wrote, and somehow uh-huh. not that. I'm going to rectify that soon. You should. It's great. The great. road virus heads north. That's the one. The road virus heads north. Okay. I'll look that up. Yeah. Uh, is it in Nightmares and Dreamscapes? Uh, no, it was in a, a... I mean, it probably was, but it was in a, a diverse collection of vampire stories. I think it was just called Vampires. Mm. But it was, you know, 30 stories about vampires from different authors. Wow. From, you know, super famous ones like Stephen King to people you've never heard of. It was. It's fantastic. I love meeting authors that way. Yeah. What's your uh, what's your favorite part about writing? Ooh, um, I think for me, it's that moment where you really get into the story and you kind of lose sight of the fact that you're writing and you're just kind of living the story. And the story is just kind of flowing and you're almost like you want this to see where the story goes. I mean, I, I heavily storyboard, so I have a general idea, but being able to see it unfold and see how things actually work out is just exciting for me. What about you, dude? The same thing. I can sit down and there's sometimes that I sit down and I, and I am forcing myself to write. And it's like, there's somebody with a bull whip standing over me and that hurts. But there are times when I sit down and it just flows and I get with the story and it, you know, I, I look down and I've spent half the day and I've written 20 pages and they're at least in my mind, they're fabulous pages. You know, they may not be, they haven't been edited yet, but um, that's, that's my favorite part. So I I got a question and this is for both you guys. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So independent publishing, independent indie, indie novels, indie short stories, how do you market? I mean, there's there's so much stuff out there. How do you how do you make your stuff stand out from the crowd? Yeah, that's it's, a hard one. 
Yeah. It's it's difficult. And that's been one of the big struggles, even in the podcasting market, is trying to really build a following. Yes. And the best thing I've been able to come up with is to consistently put out good content and word of mouth is one of the best features you can get. Uh, I'd spend a lot of time. Well, not a lot of time. I spend some time on the convention circuit, meeting people, doing panels, and that's a lot of fun. And I get some new listeners that way. But the yeah. vast majority of the people that I find, I get because someone recommended the podcast on right. a Facebook group or on you know somewhere else or in a review. Mm-hmm. And for the same reason, when I when I get something I really like, I will beat it into the ground. I will tell everybody about it. I will insist everybody go listen to it because. That's how it grows. That's how things, yeah. these things work. I think uh, I think uh, it's sort of like to piggyback off of what you were saying, Mickey. Uh, it's a lot of my marketing knowledge has to do with being in a band. Mm-hmm. And they say that you got to play a small show the same way you play a big show. You know, you've always got to play like you're in front of an amphitheater because you never know who's there, Mm -hmm. you know? So the person you might be talking to, the person who reads the story might be somehow influential or, you know, just have a big network of friends or, you know, but I guess at the end of the day, that's really the hardest part about indie publishing. There's no built in marketing. Mm hmm. No, it's a part you got to figure out. And I know uh, my friend and you met Neil, Neil Privet, uh, has his own publishing company and has done several books independently that are on Amazon. It's something he struggles with. Um, it's something that I struggle with. And I've done a lot of marketing for uh, my TV show online. I spend a lot of time doing that. And it's, it's a hard slog. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff out there. And I've kind of reached the point, you know, when you're younger, you expect to be, you know, you have these pictures of yourself driving the fancy car and being the millionaire rider and having women chase you around. And I've kind of passed that point where, you know, I hope 10 people read it and like it. And I'm happy, you know. Yeah, I, I absolutely right. feel you. Yeah, I, I'm, I feel the same way. Like with uh, the podcast, I've got a a decent listenership, but you know, not anything to write home about. And I've, I'm po- uh, Twitter friends with a couple other podcasters who have like millions per episode of downloads. Right. And good. I mean, great for them. Their podcasts are amazing. But I take a lot of joy in knowing that they listen to my show. Yeah, mm. that's pretty yeah. cool. Too. Yeah, it's like uh, Blood Oaks. We were always called a musicians band. Mm-hmm. We're a band for people who are in bands. Right. right. You know, because uh, we get on stage, we do the kind of stuff they wish they could do, which alienates the audience. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which, uh, surprise, <laughs> if women are chasing me, it's with pitchforks. <laughs> That's usually the way of it. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, you're still alive and twitching, right? Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> that was a reference to my first band. Oh, okay. What was your Ed first you- band? Uh, 
the cloned. The clone, okay. Which is hard to say. Yeah. I believe the first one was actually Sam R. I. Oh, you're right. You're right. <laughs> so it's spelled Sam dash R dash I. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why. Because I do not like your kick so high. I do not oh, like right, your right, Sam R. I. <laughs> so we've known each other a long time. Uh, <laughs> So we're coming up on the time, guys. I I really appreciate you being here, Mickey. What yeah. do you got to promote? What do you got coming up? Uh, well, we've got the podcast that drops every two weeks. Uh, you can find it at MitsuTeacherHated.com. You can find it on Facebook uh, at Hardcore Myth or if you look for Mitsu Teacher Hated. Uh, we're on pretty much every major podcast app. Uh, I'm also going to be at Atlanta Comic Con this year. Uh, it's going to be August 7th and 8th, uh, which is going to be a Saturday and a Sunday. I'll be doing panels on Cinderella, uh, Loki, Camelot, and the Green Knight. And there's one more that I'm blinking on at the moment, but it will come to me. And uh, this hasn't been confirmed yet, but probably the big one on Labor Day, whose name I won't mention, but if you know it, you know which one I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Some sort of hoarder convention, right? Yes, yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, um, Duke, what do you got to promote? Well, of course, Tennessee Macabre is going to be on Saturday night on ITV Chattanooga, Other Worlds TV, um, and ECN TV. This Friday night, we're going to be on the Monster Channel, and we have an independent film called Tales of Dracula. This was produced up in Pennsylvania, and it's kind of an homage to monster mashups. Really great flick, and I would encourage everybody to come watch it on the Monster Channel. You can stream it on monsterchannel.com. Um, I would also ask everybody to visit Tales of Dracula on Facebook and support these folks. They did great work, and they could use the support. Awesome. Awesome. Of course, I'm also always promoting Pulp Factory. Yes. Pulp Factory Easy. I've got uh, another fantastic issue in the works. Can't wait. Uh, fantastic very, issue in the works. Very interested to see that one because I've got a submission in that one. Yeah. I'm not going to spoil it for you. I'm aware. But, uh, <laughs> you, might show, you might see some more MC Williams work. Okay. <laughs> um. I've got uh, Blood Oaks, where you're streaming on Psychotronic Frog. Yes. Which is a radio station that uh, is run by a fantastic gentleman. Yes. So, Good yeah. looking. Very. Well, he's got the perfect face for radio. <laughs> yes. so, <laughs> which is why you do a video podcast, right? Yep. <laughs> but, uh,. Yeah, and we got a show coming up. We're gonna probably live stream it. It'll be July twenty third, so you know, a lot to look forward to this Friday. Um, I think that's about it. Okay. Once again, thank you all for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on the Reapers Digest. Thank you for choosing the Reapers Digest Podcast. Like and subscribe. Recommend us to your friends. Check us out on all social media outlets. We'll see you next time.